Hello boys, how are you doing tonight? It's a great night. It's recording night and we have a guest. Yeah, we have a guest. In my world, it's end of quarter, so it's just like all kinds of managers calling, where's the order? <laughs> I'm so happy I'm out of that world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's, you know, we can relax at some other times uh, in the year, but last week in the quarter, that's not fun. Yeah, yeah. That's me. No, I'm I'm also in crazy times because Santa came yesterday with two firewalls, so it's really hard to to get work done and not playing around with the new firewalls. So what did you uh, get? Actually, I I was supposed to buy one PFSense sixty one hundred and one twenty one hundred, but I did something wrong when I ordered, so I actually got two sixty one hundreds and one twenty one hundred. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but I did. So um, I sent back the 2100. So now I have two 6100s instead. So and how much is routing capacity on that? Uh, it's a lot. Uh, it will route one gigabit of VPN traffic. So um, it yeah, should Yeah, but that's VPN be... capacity. Yeah. Man. What's uh, the firewall capacity? I don't know. Six or eight gig? It's a lot. It's more than I have in bandwidth. So. It's going to be fine. What's your uplink? I have a gigabit at home. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, okay. I, I optimized it for full VPN traffic. Planning for the future. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the funny thing is, uh, when I plugged it in and looked at the traffic consumption for uh, the normal use case, I think I used, was it five megabits per second and 2% of the CPU usage. So, I mean, I kind of, Overdid it a little bit, but it's mm. better to shoot high than shoot low, isn't it, Mike? It's, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking one of your screen. I mean, <laughs> shoot, shoot for the stars. I want to mention that I actually started this firewall project. Uh, and then you come here running in my tail and outperforming me on capacity. Yeah, so I need, need something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've actually bought a uh, 2100, which was... Switching finally was a little bit too little capacity for the uplink that I also have, which is also one gig. And then there was this 3100, and you know it was an old model. And then I went to one of the partners in Copenhagen and I ordered a 3100. Then I come into into the office because I wanted to pick it up because you didn't want to wait for the delivery. I, I couldn't wait. No, yeah. you know they will crash I know the it or something. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I just wanted to get it. And I could drive to Copenhagen and pick it up, and they would. Yeah, you can come and. So I come into the into the office and there's my 3100 uh, NetGate PFSense firewall. And then I have, there's a stack of boxes and I say, what is that? Oh, that's a new 4100. Okay, I want to make a change. <laughs> so I, I got a 4100 instead, which is on new hardware, and which will give me what I have for my, for my uplink. So now I have a 2100 in the surplus. I want to send it somewhere, but I want to know if he will do the project. You think he will do the project? I think we need some commitment for it first. Yeah, and maybe commitment. in writing as well. Maybe in writing, yeah. And we yeah. come back to obligations and uh, commitments, right? Well, how about it, Jens? Yeah. <laughs> You're up. <laughs> okay. And we're building a routed VPN and everything, right? And you're up for that. And you will have full support, of course, but you need to put the firewall in front. Yeah. And it's no. a, and and for the capacity you have, it's actually more than more than enough with the twenty one hundred. So next time I'll see you, you will have twenty one hundred. Sounds great. Yeah. Really looking forward to it. Yeah. 
Hey, we need to talk about language. Yeah, yeah. We we're talking English today. Yeah, we are. But for other I reasons, feel, and we I, have a guest, right? But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we we thought we maybe we should think about the language and move over to to English permanently. But yeah. we also have some, you know, gut feeling, and it doesn't feel hundred. We're not sure about it. So we did this Twitter poll, right? And that was not it, as we they, they, didn't, they, they didn't answer as we wanted them. So we, we ignore the result from the Twitter poll. <laughs> but and it also was written we, in Danish. It was written in Danish, wasn't it? I don't remember. It was okay. at least not in Swedish. No. So no. I I think that's why the Swedes didn't vote. Yeah. But I think it was back maybe in episode four or five or six, something like that, when we got the first listener feedback and they said, Ah, you should speak in English. And what did we say then, Mike? I said, we have discussed it and we will do the first 100 episodes in Scandinavian language. Yes, and now we're speaking yeah. English. So, what, what, we... does, that, does that commitment matter somehow? I don't know. Call the attorney. Yeah, let, let's call, call the attorney. Pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up, come on. What? Hello? That's a fax machine. Oh. You got the country oh, code, right? Yeah. Can you try wrong, the right number? number? Let's let's try again. Wonder if he's home or he's if he's in the office still, maybe. Hello. Yeah, I... This is Sebastian oh. Feiler speaking. Hey, Hello. Sebastian. In, ter in terms of a disclaimer, um, uh, would you like to know my hourly rate before we start talking, or should we do that afterward? You already told us. No, we need to. We have a question. <laughs> Good to talk to you guys. Hello. We made a, we made a commitment on 100 episodes in the Scandinavian language, and now we're running away from it. Does it legally matter? Are you all running away from it, or is just one or two of the three of you running away from it? It's for the next 100 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you make a joint commitment and um, you uh, somehow feel that um, the commitment has changed, you can make a change to the contract unilaterally, of course, every time and all the time. You know? okay. But you would have to be in agreement. Yeah, yeah, the three of us, right? And someone <laughs> needs to sue us before we really have a problem. Yeah, that's right. But I will probably, um, I'll have an eye on that. And then we can talk about the hourly rate, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. You are calling outside of my main office hours. It's just oh. emails checking and processing the inbox now. So everything's fine. <laughs> How are you doing, Sebastian? Welcome back to the show here one year after. One one year. Is it really one year? I was wondering. I didn't have time to look up when exactly we recorded for the first time. But uh, is it one year already? Uh, it's, it's close oh, to. Oh, I think we recorded almost. in April, May, something like that. So we are... Yeah. A little bit before. Um, I think we released your episode in the middle of the summer because we had a lot ah, of, yes. of episodes yes. uh, recorded yeah. before we dared yes. to go live <laughs> with anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, it's good to be back. Good to see the three of you, of course. Um, and, and there's the language uh, matter again. I would have listened to every of your podcasts and I have to... 
I have to say that I um, sometimes I listen in on the uh, Scandinavian language podcast because I love the sound of the language, but I can't understand them. So I only <laughs> listen to English language content. But I'm always interested to see what where you guys are going and what topics you are covering. And um, this is always uh, enriching. Yeah, it has been an interesting year. So it's one year after. For me, it's one house after because I finally moved house and... Uh, We have a big uh, move into the, we, we had to build the house project, then we now have a move into the house project. And I think this is at least going on for the next 100 episodes of Smarter as well. So, yeah. <laughs> you also had a flooding in Germany in your, in your neighborhood or vicinity of you, right? Yeah, that that was uh, that was really really devastating in the summer of last year. It was, it was actually not far away from from our new home. Uh, we got spared, uh, nothing happened, but um, uh, yeah. We, so what we did is we closed down the law firm for one day and just drove up there with a few other volunteers and helped cleaning up a little bit. And I must say, I have never seen this uh, this kind of devastation. So it was really, uh, when you come back from a day like this, you are really happy for, for all the little pro problems and projects that you only have. Yeah, mm. because it's it's unimaginable and and it's still going on i mean it, it will take years to rebuild the infrastructure and before you rebuild it you really have to carefully consider whether it makes sense to rebuild or whether the next flooding will be just around the corner and you have to fundamentally redesign the the um the architecture there and the way the, the cities are built so it's yeah it, it it was a new experience for for germany and for um for all of us have this yeah. in the midst of us what was the you know is there a political impact on it does, does people reflect differently on climate or um i think it put another spot of awareness on climate change mm -hmm. um we had federal elections in the um in the autumn thereafter i would i haven't seen any data on that but um I would expect that this has influenced uh, some voters' decisions. So we have now um, the Green Party as part of the um, of the government, and we have a government that tries to commit to being sustainable and to climate change. I must say, not as as stringent as in a lot of the Nordic countries. So we are always fascinated, and it's always uh, an encouragement to look uh, over there. But still. Yeah, we are we are making the right steps. The big question is, do we make the right steps with the right speed? Yeah, because we just don't have time anymore for that. No, but there are other there are other issues that actually is uh, pushing that agenda right now in Ukraine, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the big um, fear over here is that it will really um, that this, uh, we will really go back to using kind of fossil energy fuels uh, from other sources because we kind of feel compelled to i mean we even started talking about firing up uh nuclear reactors again that we just uh, deactivated and i mean other than it's not easy to reactivate a nuclear reactor just by by that um it's probably not the right thing to do but yeah well this is yeah this just fuels the discussions of course yeah. i heard, heard one good suggestion in denmark about uh, germany and that was that we should allow the germans to build all the windmills they wanted in the north sea even in our territory which would be a good idea because we have space for that yeah and i mean probably giving up territorial thinking when it comes to energy um, generation um, would probably also be a good idea i mean if you think about 
where did Europe start? Europe started um, after the Second World War and Europe started when certain economic streams had to be unified and when it was uh, too cumbersome for customs and so on and for territoriality to go on. Yeah, Europe started with the steel union and with um, uh, atomic union, uh, the, the basic pillars upon which then later the European community was, was founded on. And maybe the next shift for the European community will be to have another pillar built on energy generation and make energy generation and energy distribution a European matter and not a state matter. Yeah. But it is actually that we are all on the same energy network. Anyway, we are right. sending power anyway. this and that. So there's a complete European grid. So maybe it should be above state level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a sidetrack. Definitely. <laughs> But I mean, that, that unified electricity net is also giving problems, right? We see that a lot in Sweden. Right now, we have crazy electricity bills. They probably have that all over the Europe, but mm. right now it's extremely expensive. I think I had uh, for December and January. I haven't opened the bill for February yet. Uh, I, I wait with that a little bit more, but they're like <laughs> five five times higher. Martin, that's only because you run all of these firewalls and security equipment in your basement, right? That's what <laughs> keeps the bill That covers high. February. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I don't have any miners, at least. That, that is, uh, I, ha I have them in the office, so they are mining away <laughs> there. So yeah. that's cheaper. <laughs> How is your life unfolding in the new firm? One year after, pretty, pretty good, pretty interesting, um, pretty, um, pretty, yeah, interesting projects. Many projects, international arbitrations going on in interesting um, uh, fears, topics in interesting industries, national litigation also going on. So I'm really, I'm really busy. Um, I'm in a process of building out some sort of an ideal week or a structured week, not in terms of time blocking. That is something I would never do. I'm not a fan of time blocking. Um, but um, in terms of thinking in advance and including into my weekly reviews um, this, the specific roles that I have to attend to in order not to be driven too much by the day-to-day -day business because I really want to get uh, shift focus a little bit into the business development and strategy perspective and also talent development perspective because the market in Germany to um, hire new lawyers is it, it's extremely complicated to, to get uh, good talent and you really have to spend a lot of time thinking on what do we have to do um, in order to make this an attractive workplace huh. for new lawyers and how do we need to work in order to be independent from from offices and to do remote work to a greater extent and so on so that's that's a project um, that's uh, actually an area of focus and a project in mm. gtd term speaking yeah. but other than that it's it's interesting i'm looking forward to doing a little bit of travel so um travel is picking up again i had amidst covid in the summer last year i had a, um, a larger arbitration hearing going on in person but other than that a lot was just virtual hearings and now it's Yeah, travel is picking up a bit again, and I'm looking forward to meeting colleagues again at real life conferences, um, and and yeah, just meet and mingle. So that that I really missed in the in the previous two years. And and how are your PGD systems? Are there any changes? Because when when we had you on, mm -hmm. we were firmly uh, uh, omnifocus users and didn't 
in any way wanted to change away from that. And that's mm. uh, only held uh, half a year when we had a micro <laughs> and, and and was inspired. Then a lot of changes to our task managers had uh, happened. How are your system going right now? Yeah, I, I would have, I hadn't had the time to go back to listen to the recording. Um, but if I recall correctly, I was a little bit on the paper trail um, you were. when we yep. did the last recording. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm still on the paper trail, but the usage of paper has changed. So my next action and project lists are not retained on paper anymore. I'm using something that would you could call digital paper, meaning I just use a simple text file. Mm. Um, the text file is retained in Obsidian, which is another um, uh, interesting project in and of itself and um, uh, maybe something one can talk about. But uh, at the moment, it's just a text file-based list with items for next actions and not that many contexts at the moment. I'm uh, In my work system, I'm, I'm working not with that many contexts at the moment. I have a f I'm, I'm going through phases. I have these phases when context-wise, it's more important for me to have a delineation between longer and shorter tasks and maybe calls, which are a separate category nearly mm. all the time. Yeah. And then I have phases in which I really have like five, six, seven different contexts and, and, and subcategorize everything. So at the moment, I have a phase in which I have this text file and I have contexts that are more geared towards um, seeing what is a short task that I can do, not a two-minute action, but like a 10 to 20-minute task and um, what are tasks which are longer and which I should do in like primary think times, like in the morning or in, in the, in the mid-afternoon, yeah. And then there is the odd office task that I have under an office list, but really I, I don't have that uh, complicated of a system at the moment. Yeah. And the next action lists are in a text file and the project list actually is in Excel at the moment um, because I can use, or I use the um, columns in Excel to add some additional data that I need during my weekly review. Uh, and at the moment I'm in a phase where I really try to adhere to what I would say canonical GTD is, meaning you need the project list during the weekly review. And during the rest of the week, you have already thought through everything. You use the next action lists and not the project list. And then when I use the project list in my weekly review, I want to have additional data visible while looking at the project list. And that's why I've put this not in a simple text file, but in an Excel file. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the that's the work system and the private system, which is still separated from the work system, um, is in uh, Apple Reminders. I'm trying out something simple as well there. Um, I um, went back from paper to digital, but um, try to keep it really simple in Apple Reminders. And Apple Reminders has become really capable, and you can yeah. easily build up a very, uh, yeah, very good and uh, even a complicated system if you want to. Oh yeah, you can make it complicated. That's for sure. Yeah. It's it's quite funny because Michael always says that I am the one following him and you know <laughs> building firewall projects and moving out from Google and whatever, um, and soon to delete my Facebook account as well. But yeah. anyhow, I was the one that said, "Have you looked at Reminders? It's actually quite powerful." And Michael says, "No, I will never move out from OmniFocus." And when then you I, listen then to I, the cut of I, the episode. <laughs> 
and then I <laughs> called Jens on uh, January 30th or something. There's something we need to test, and then we made the transition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really interesting. Also, yeah. it's um, I mean, it, it's really, and I mean, I must say there are certain apps in the core ecosystem that Apple really doesn't develop, but um, I think Reminders is one of the positive examples of that they really yeah. look into what they can do with it, and yeah. There is some functionality that I miss a little bit from OmniFocus, but the upside of task sharing, of having my reminders on my watch, on mm. my, uh, you know, I know I can do it in OmniFocus as well, but it's it just much more functional in reminders for me. Mm. Yeah, location-based lists and all that. It's really it's you know the shared tasks I list I have. Mm. They they fill my everyday life. And the great thing is that I can also have uh, Microsoft uh, to-do lists in my reminders, mm. so I can actually engage with people that are not that enlightened yet. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's really helpful. Yeah, I, I do this too. I have the usual uh, shopping lists, um, which are, which are just shared lists, and that's that's really a cool aspect about reminders. Yeah, I mean, mm. you can share something, but you do also do not have to share the complete concept or the complete app or the complete system. Yeah, nobody has to completely buy in. You can just share a list or a few items with someone and say, "Hey, let, let's use this to track this." Uh, and then you can delete it once you're done. And yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So if I sum you up. Uh, Sebastian, you're still using pen and paper, a flat text file, Excel, and a fax machine. <laughs> and now <laughs> you're moving into the digital well. age and and starting using reminders. Is that right? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I use uh, um, first of all, I um, by by law, I should not need to use the fax machine anymore because effective first uh, of January of this year. Uh, I am now um, obliged to communicate digitally with the courts using a, a digital court messaging system with a nice um, uh, hard um, uh, security token, so like a code card and a key yeah. entry on a key card reader, which is pretty nice. I mean, there are other jurisdictions where you just send a PDF file via email to the court, which probably is not the best option security-wise um, from, from a lot of angles. Mm. So uh, I, I should not need to use the fax machine. In reality, I use it when I want to alert the court very quickly because um, the problem nowadays is I have to send the um, file or the, the lawsuit or whatever, the brief, digitally to the court and the court will digitally receive it. And what will then happen is in the basement of the court, there will be a room with a lot of printers and oh it will then be printed God. out. And then actually this, <laughs> the time... Back from the uh, receipt of the brief to the uh, point in time when the judge get the brief uh, gets the brief on his um, desk this is actually at the moment it's longer because they use a centralized location in the court building to print out everything and then they have to distribute it uh, over the whole building while in the previous ages with a fax machine they had fax machines distributed all over the building in every secretariat yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and you could dial the right one to read have it land on the judge's table in in like 30 minutes or so yeah and that's what we use fax machines for yeah yeah it's not <laughs> going away anytime soon right yeah and i mean uh, i have to say um it is uh, it's excruciating i mean have you ever tried faxing like 100 pages 
it never yeah, works it always there, there's always an interruption and it always has to resume and it takes uh it takes endless times yeah um, <laughs> but to a certain extent it is like uh, it's like the the cockroach of communication it doesn't go away you cannot kill it yeah it's the, it's a common it's a common uh basic that every uh public authority can resort to if uh, digital communication doesn't work yeah but and, it also um, it's all it's also a, a kind of business blogger, right? I remember many years ago I was working for an American IT security company, something yellow. Um, and when we were supposed to submit our expenses, it had to be on a US letter form. Hmm. And then you have to, to glue the invoices on the A4 paper, give it a number and a sequence and then fax it to somewhere in the US. You never got your money. I mean, it was <laughs> just so horrible. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is. Um. Yeah. I mean. I'm. I'm fortunate enough to be in a firm that um, uses a lot of digital um, technology. So we would not need any. I mean, actually, every piece of paper that um, of of real paper that enters our firm is digitized, and um, uh, to the exception of of awards and court judgments, which we have to retain the originals, um, the paper copies are not not really important anymore. But on the court end of things there um, there are courts in germany who work with digital filing systems and there are courts in other parts of germany who still work with the paper systems and that's the difficult um, thing at the moment it's a period of transition it will take a few years maybe but i mean if you think back when the fax machine was introduced it also didn't work properly for the first few years and you had the problems with the with the uh, incompatible board rates or whatever um it's actually amazing that i remember that i'm too old um but um yeah it will go away and we will be digital and everything will be fine i think one one of the things that was good or is good with the fax is that is point to point so you actually deliver it to a specific person but i mean if we would just have a, a, a email system that is not broken that is also kind of mm. point to point so that could also yeah. work but uh, we don't have yeah. a but there is none <laughs> there is no non-broken email system unfortunately yeah. oh some are yeah. more broken than others yeah that's true. yeah absolutely I mean, uh, absolutely uh, Absolutely. Well, in Germany, we try to um, uh, we try to establish some, something called the email, which meant that you um, were pre-authenticated, and if you sent the email out of your pre-authenticated um, mailbox, um, then you could, for example, make as a private citizen make submissions to um, uh, to the to the local authorities, or as a as an attorney send briefs digitally to the court even before the digital system was working, but that never really got traction. So it's um, yeah, I think email, um, and I'm I'm I, I have a PGP signature. There are people um, uh, even on this podcast whom I have <laughs> exchanged uh, encrypted messages via PGP, but I also recognize that this is not for the masses. So it's unfortunately no. it's not working. Um, I disagree. Nice, flawlessly enough. Yeah, I, um, I also disagree um, to the extent that I would love to have it being implemented by the masses, but I, I mean, I'm, I work in a sensitive field, and um, I cannot think back to a case where a client requested encrypted email. Um, we, on the other hand, we always educate the client when we enter into a new client relationship. We always educate the client: Hey, um, do you really want to? 
have communication via email. Email is not secure. Email can be interrupted. Email can be read. Uh, email can be intercepted. Um, and we can only enter into this communication if the client agrees to that. And we make sure that we have that on, on record. But the other way around, I do not see a lot of clients request this kind of communication, at least for, for the standard level communication with lawyers. It's quite fun because if you look at what's happened uh, in in the Swedish press this week, is that even the, the Swedish government doesn't really understand this thing with email security. They haven't even set up. I, I, I don't know exactly what they haven't done. If it's SPF and DKIM, I guess that's what they haven't set up, the, I mean, the basics. because no DMARC. Yeah, because it was one of the ministers that was spoofed by a newspaper just to test it. So <laughs> they a newspaper was sending email as it was from the minister. They couldn't see it. Oh my goodness. Yes. It's and it's 2022, and there is a war yeah. in Ukraine, yeah. and there is a massive misinformation coming from a big country in the east, and we don't have even the basic sets up in the government. I mean, that is. It's really funny because in and I hear that since I work in a company where we process billions of mails every day. Yeah. One of the things about Denmark is actually where we can you know tip the hat a little bit is that. Uh, Three, four years ago, it became mandatory for all government organizations to have DMARC implemented. Mm. All of them are not there, but at least they have a DMARC record, they have DKIM, they have SPF. They do not dare really to enable to go into P-reject, but, but still, the, you know, we are way ahead of countries like Sweden, England, Germany, and, you know, big countries, right, where... Mm. where we and get it's this, so easy uh, to set up. It's I don't so th easy to set it up. Why, why they don't do it? It's because crazy. It's because email is uh, something that's out of control, right? They're not afraid to do the uh, the DKIM. It's when it comes to the SPF for large organizations where they have other marketing companies, partners, and you know maybe law firm even sending mail in their domain name, and then they yeah. run into yeah. trouble. That's the big thing. It, it's easy to set it up in DNS, mm. but it's actually a project to implement if you are yeah. kind of large organization. And and what I see in the industry is, of course, I mean, there are solutions now, client communication portals that um, let you securely log in as a client and then you can uh, exchange messages with the firm and you can also look into the docket and look into um, uh, an update of your case and so on. I think uh, when it comes to law firms and to lawyer-client communication, I think this is where we are headed. So I think email is to a certain extent on its way out for intensive information exchange um, with the client, but it will always be the baseline of communication um, and the baseline um, that is used when you establish a new uh, client relationship and also the baseline of internal communication, frankly. I mean, it's um, it's not that law firms use uh, Slack or something. I mean, we, we, have a, we have Teams uh, chats, not Microsoft Teams, but um, uh, another application um, that we use a little bit, but still a lot of communication is just... Uh, being done via via internal email because we are just old school, which is nice because I use paper and I'm also old school. But but yeah, no, but <laughs> honestly, sometimes old school is really good school because the trouble with email is that uh, you know it's so widely used it won't go away tomorrow. It's convenient, but it's far from secure, right? And it's what everybody knows. I mean, imagine go to a uh, big corporation with forty thousand employees or something saying, "And now we use Slack." Everybody knows how to click on reply all. Yeah. But maybe circling back to the paper, um, mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, I didn't say that I um, moved away from paper. I still use paper. 
Um, and um, uh, I, I just wanted to mention that because I find this interesting, the development. So I first used paper to um, retain my lists and I've now moved away from that um, because I had problems with the list doesn't look clean and not being sortable and not being rearrangeable to a certain extent. But what I do now is I use it extensively in the weekly review and in the planning part of the weekly review. So I have a um, I have a week on two pages calendar, yeah, just an A6 format uh, with a nice uh, leather binding, and uh, it just shows one week on two pages. And the top um, half of it is the actual week where I really at the um, at the at the beginning of the week in my weekly review I pencil in from my digital calendar every appointment. You would ask why does he do that is he stupid does he not have anything more interesting to do i can assure you it just takes one or two minutes but the process of penciling it in to a written paper planner is a good start for me to do really reflection on how much time do i have to do to to, to move the needle on some important project do i really want to do this or do i want to move the appointment to another week so so much is triggered by the transfer to paper that for me wasn't triggered by just looking at a digital calendar in the weekly review and that's really interesting and i i have started doing this and now I also write down. Um, so in the in the lower half of the of the two week um, uh, of the two a week on two pages calendar, um, there are just blank lines, and I write the projects that will be on my radar for the next week into this. So a condensed part of the project list, only the the project name and the project goal to achieve. This will also land on the calendar. And this is not by no means, this is a project list. This is nothing that will be permanent. This will be obsolete uh, after the week is over. But the nice thing is that I have this, um, I have to write this down. I have to decide because there's not enough space to put 50 projects on there for one week, which would be uh, not working anyhow. Um, and I have to decide what I put in there. I have to take time to pencil it in and um, I can take a glance on it every morning like for 30 seconds. And that's just uh, an amazing way to to use uh, analog. It doesn't have to be paper. It could also be this um, uh, uh, like a digital paper on an iPad or on a remarkable tablet or an e-ink tablet or whatsoever. But um, since uh, since we spoke last time, I'm really convinced that a medium change in your GTD process or in some component of your GTD process, it, it really gives you some benefit when it comes to planning and reflection. And I, I can definitely relate to that. And one thing that I came to think about when I heard your reasoning around taking it from your digital calendar down to, to the paper-based and also having the project list there. The first, first thought was that, yeah, it makes perfect sense because what you do when you copy the, uh, the digital project to analogs is that you also think, uh, okay, what does this project mean? It slows down your thinking because mm. when you start to write, you, you don't write as fast as you think. So mm. then you also give your brain the time to actually process and see what do I need? Is there anything I need to prepare? And all of this thinking that you will not probably do well enough if you just mm. review or look at your digital calendar. So I mm. definitely can see the value of doing this because one thing that I notice with myself is that sometimes if I know that I have, I only have 50 minutes now to do my weekly review and I really need to do my weekly review, 
when I do my calendar review, that can go a little bit too fast sometimes. So mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. process is just a slowing down. And I think that's that's a really nice approach. And I like that that you do it. And mm. also the uh, the talk you said that with the project list, that is also something that I see a lot of people also doing in the digital systems, that they actually split their project list in two because the project list is too long anyway. So they will not do everything mm. up until the next week review. And mm. some people call the other side of the project list that you don't have visible to you, like my projects on pause or something like that. Mm. It's mm. just a way to split it. I mean, you don't have to see them if you don't going to do anything with them anyway. So why mm. be distracted by them? So it's, I like it. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, and actually, I I yeah. also moved away a little bit from. Well, I, I write on paper as well with my fountain pens. Of course, that's fantastic. But I went up to the attic and wait, I, wait, you do have fountain pens? <laughs> I do have fountain pens. Uh, not Ooh, so many that I want, but I, I know I bought firewalls. So I, I just I just can't buy them. But I went up to the to the attic and I found one of, of these. Um, oh, a rocket book, right? A rocket book, yes. And I actually have nice. a few, and yeah. I used them a few years ago. And I have actually built a flow for them that works really, really nicely. So that connects, so I, I can take a photo of it, and it uploads, and I tag it. Um, and I use my Stream Deck as well to tag the files quickly. And then I have a, a little key, and it shoots it into DevonThink and classifies and everything. Mm. So I have like a, a process to handle all my written notes. Uh, I see Michael is shaking his head. He's ah, no, 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 no. Why no, do you no. write I think by it's hand? Cool. I think it's, it's so cool that you finally I, use use all your automation tools for something <laughs> for real workflows and not <laughs> yeah. just a clipboard manager. Yeah, I also write. Uh, I, I write by hand uh, every yeah. day. Uh, meeting notes, um, phone call notes. I actually have my my nice little B5 notebook. B5 is an amazing format. If everyone uh, on the podcast, uh, every listener ever wants to try a notebook format, don't go for A5, go for B5. It's just that little bit more space that makes it amazing to just turn it around to a little mind map on it. It's so, more, so much more versatile. And uh, yeah, I have this nice little <laughs> notebook with uh, Japanese Tomoe River paper, which means it's very thin, very fine, but uh, the, uh, the the ink doesn't bleed through. And uh, it's um, it's just this um, grounding analog tradition to use uh, another fountain pen every day and to change the pens and change the colors of the pens. And uh, I like it. Two things. I want to get back to the long project list. But first, Sebastian, mm-hmm. we will meet later at the year. And could you set me up for paper with a nice fountain pen and some good stuff? Of just set me up, bring that of to course. me, and I will send you money or give you money once. Set me up. No, 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 no. no. I want, yeah, I want I mean, you know, we, because when I go into that, uh, I have to try a lot of stuff with it no experience. It has to be the Apple uh, Studio Play of papers. It has to be the Apple Studio Display of papers. So no, no, the right? XDR, the XDR display. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, if Apple were into making fountain pens, no, no, and paper. they they are making pens, but uh, nice pens actually. That is working. Uh, they they don't paper. really work on paper that well. No, I mean the big question. Yeah, I mean what I would need to know, and we can do an intake. Uh, for that is do you want it in in loose leaf or in bound form so are you looking for a note block that where you can just scrap off the pages and scan them
them or are you looking for something like a book in which you write but you you can think about that you can no, no, i have an answer for you because a while back i made a commitment to you to write my uh, horizon 5 documents and yeah it's on my list it's still on my list it's not moving anywhere but i will write that as the first page in the book or the first pages in the book oh that's that's great okay i will practice before but uh, i will do that so set me up for paper i'll send you money i will <laughs> i will so i want to get back a little bit to the long project list because i think it's an it's a Returning theme among GTDs when you have a weekly review, Martin, you just mentioned, oh, I only have 15 minutes back of my of my weekly review time. Question number one, why is, why is that? But leave that for now because we have had that discussion many times. But if you find yourself with a project list that is way too overwhelming, mm. what is wrong there? Is it because you don't clarify your projects or you don't put the projects on the someday maybe or what? What? Because it's so easy to get a lot of projects, right? But I would just say that the GGD methodology actually encourages you to really reflect on the projects, right? Mm. So why is it? And, and if you have that solid, very long project list with real stuff on it, maybe it's time for some other considerations because mm. you cannot drown yourself in projects. You need to be a but human I can, being can as well. I can throw in a spanner there in your reasoning, uh, Michael. Well, I'm just asking. So, what, what, is a, what is a GTD project? Yeah, it's something it's, it's, with more than two actions. Yeah, that you will finish within a year, yeah. usually. Yeah. 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 So that means that since we are doing yeah. GTD in roughly weekly cycles, uh, I, I do my weekly review every week. And most yeah. often I do it well. Mm. So that is kind of an iterative thing. And if I have projects in my system and all of them, I will not work on all of them every week because they may be around mm. for a year. Yeah. So that means that exactly. I, I don't want to get, be distracted or, or be see things uh, that pull my attention or just makes my decisions slower because there is more to choose from. It's, it can be a good, good way to actually take them out and, and split that list up in multiple things. And I definitely agree with you. When you do your weekly review, you should definitely consider if these projects are actually projects for you or if they are just mm. someday maybes. And I yeah. very, very often, when I do my weekly review, I look at my list and I see this is a project that has been on my list now for maybe two, three months and nothing has happened. a long time. Yeah. yeah. And then, then I always ask myself the question, Will I really do this? Mm-hmm. And if I don't, it may just go over to my someday maybe. Or just yeah. remove Trash it. it. Yeah. Yes. So it's yeah. definitely something you should consider. But projects is not something you have to see every day. It's it, you, yeah. you should see them in your weekly review for sure. Mm. So that that I think it you, you, it's, it's a really good point that you should think about them if they stick stick around. If you find yourself yeah, really. uh, moving projects ahead, the, if it gets so close to your weekly review, and you say, oh, that was that project I was supposed to start, I have to move it four weeks ahead. And you do that. It happens to everybody, I think. It's just a matter of being yeah. honest with it. Um, you should really consider just killing the projects. It's a matter of interpretation. And as always, um, one one always has to keep in mind that GTD is a highly personalized approach and system. And there may be persons who do not feel good if they have on their project lists projects from which they can see that they will not touch them within the next four weeks 
And there will be persons who are perfectly fine with having projects on their project list, which they will finish sometime in the next year or so, but probably not look at in, in, in the next uh, six weeks at all. Yeah. Um, uh, and this is, this is the beauty. What I, I can, uh, I'm never getting tired of emphasizing that this is the beauty of the system. I think if you set up the system by, um, with, with one leading question, and that is, how does this have to be structured so that I'm appropriately engaged with everything in my system, with every commitment that I have? If you follow that question, um, and you structure your project list in a way that is comfortable for you, then everything is okay. You can have 150 projects on the list. If you know that you are not committing to doing 150 projects during the next week, because that would be probably impossible. Yeah. If you are aligned with that, everything is fine. And if you are not aligned with that, or if you feel that you have to subcategorize into projects on hold and uh, someday maybe, um, which you should use anyhow, and uh, into a projects active, then you do this and then you use your lists. And um, I, I see if I, for example, I have this one big project list. I don't have the interrupted or, or, or subdivided list, but I just use the little um, scribblings of the projects on radar during the next week to get me focused on, on, on what's, what's working on the next week. That's another approach that you can use. It's one of the things that I actually miss from OmniFocus that I don't have in reminders, which is the ability to create yeah. a view where I can see the projects for the next three months or whatever, mm -hmm. just as part of my weekly review. And it is also the reason why I don't have as many projects in uh, Apple Reminders as I had in OmniFocus. And I'm curious as to how that will play out, but I want to do a round. Martin, how many projects do you have in your GTD system? I don't know. I don't have it in front of me, but if you send the question to, to Jens, I can, can look. Okay. Jens, how many do you have? Uh, let me check. Uh, nine. Nine projects. All right. Sebastian? I would. Um, I have it not in front of me now, but I would estimate it would be to get a private and work together. Mm. I would say between 50 and 70. Mm. Yeah. 34. 34. I have 39. In OmniFocus, I had 150. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. So it, it, uh, uh, the change of task manager... Now, you could just fill stuff into OmniFocus and you could be fairly certain that if you put a deferred date in it, it will pop up at the right time or the due date or something. Mm -hmm. You cannot do that in Apple Reminders and you are confronted with the projects. And I can just, that's one of the effects that uh, Apple Reminders has on me. I'm a little bit more resistant of, you know, just create a new project, just create a new project. Mm -hmm. Because I also know that at some point I will just delete it anyway. Yeah. And, and that uh, deferred date, I, I've, implemented in, in in my version of reminders mm. so i i use the the date where we the only date we, we have in in reminders and if i, I use a tag of uh, defer then i know i should look at the date as a defer date so here's, so. here's a question for you yeah what happens on our shared list what is the date that i can <laughs> see which one of them No, but we have several lists together, yeah. right? So you have a date meaning one thing for you, I have a date meaning something else for me, and I cannot see your text. Oh, uh, in, in, in a shared list, uh, that's not possible. So what does the date mean? Well, the question is which interpretation prevails. Yeah. And I would, yeah, I, would, exactly. I would urge you, Jens, you shouldn't say anything without consulting your attorney first now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
I uh, I place the fish. Uh, or, or just... <laughs> we don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, but uh, on our shared list, uh, I I don't have this uh, in- interpretation of of, of the date. Um, and and uh, but it's a beautiful solution. Um, I mean, in the shared list, if you Jens interpret every date as start date. And Michael interprets every date as finishing date. That exactly. means that Michael does all the work. It's perfect. <laughs> it's just we also a, have task sharing. I mean, yeah. not only list sharing, but also task sharing. You can assign a task to someone. So, yeah. But it, it's just a thing that will pop up once that you this interpretation of the other person's list. That is actually yeah. Yeah, an inter- interesting topic to discuss, or at least to get get straightened out. But I think going circling back to the to the project length and project list length, I think it's really. Um, I think if you start practicing GTD, this is nothing that you can really um, that you really think about. But after a year of a GTD practice, or after getting a little bit of traction, I think it's really good to start analyzing yourself. How do I feel about long lists? Yeah, because I think the system and the the approach can can be perfectly fine with you having a next action list with with 150 entries, uh, but probably you are not fine with it. For you, it's too long. You need something shorter. You need to subcategorize and put put something away. And, uh, and it's just important to to get to know your own preferences. And I think um, what what I think what you um, Particularly, Michael, who has switched from OmniFocus to to remind us what and Jens, Jens is, as well, and and Jens too, Jens too. Yeah. Um, no one is is using OmniFocus. So I think what that what what you would agree is that switching um, from one program to another, it was kind of like a cleanse. Yeah, you had to rethink everything and you had to refill the lists and so on. Yeah? Yeah. And that's always a good thing. It is an extremely good thing. Totally agree. So but, I'll switch but, to something else in a year's time. But the time from starting the switch to until you have all the projects and and the next actions in the new system and have that up and running, that's not a nice time. But I I also switched right, but not to yeah. reminders. Um, no. I switched to to Doist because it's a a tool I ah. wanted to try for a long time uh, mm. to learn it a little mm-hmm. bit better than than I knew. So I thought, well, if I'm now going to move out from OmniFocus because there has been something that I didn't really like with OmniFocus, and I don't really know what. And Michael has always said that. Yeah, you always try to find a way out of it. So thanks, Michael, because <laughs> you moved, I could also move. So yeah, no, no, well, hang on a second. Hang on a second. You flash. You start on a flashing and making advertisements for for reminders, and then we jump into it, Jens and me. And then two months later, he says, "Oh, by the way, I switched my task manager to to do it." <laughs> But but the thing is, I feel the same thing like you describe that uh, since uh, yes, Todoist is a database as well, but it's not structured as uh, as a database in the same way as OmniFocus is. You you are not inclined to throw in as much things into it. You think about it a little bit more, and you're a little bit more mm-hmm. hesitant to just create a lot of projects that you can then just filter out with a view or something. So. You need to take these decisions and really prioritize how much can I actually have on my plate. And mm. what I see, I may not be more productive with Todoist, but I see that the projects that I have, they are actually finished faster. 
mm-hmm. because it's a little mm. bit, uh, you know, uh, the, the thing you, you go, the, the farmers go with on the fields to to pick up the, uh, the what they grow. I don't know the English term for it. They they can even have have a small table in front, so they just take a little bit at a time, but and they can drive quite mm-hmm. quite fast. But if you have a bigger machine that has a wider table mm-hmm. in front, so they take more like a uh, wider a harvester, a, harvester. Yes, a combined harvester is called, yeah. and if, if it's wider in front, it must go a lot slower. And that is so yeah. ob- so so clear, uh, f- at least for me, when I switch from going from OmniFocus into Todoist, where I have less projects. Mm. The turnaround on projects is, is faster. I also think that one of my conclusions now that I've spent almost four months in Reminders and made the decision to stay a month ago um, is that the more mature your practice is, the simpler a task manager you can live with. Hmm. And maybe also the simpler you want it to be. Yeah, exactly. It sticks together, yeah. right? Because it, it grows on you. The process, your practice grows on you and you get more experienced in it. So you can actually mm. live with less. And you're beyond the time of uh, productivity porn, as David would call yeah. it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you are. Yeah. Uh, but it's also interesting to to look into new systems. Especially my shift to reminders offered me some new workflows, which was mm-hmm. that that we talked about the shared list. It is awesome. Everybody mm-hmm. I share with list except Martin actually <laughs> uh, clicks off task. And uh, yeah. But uh, I, I I hope you realized in my last weekly review that I actually have an item in there to check yeah. Michael's reminders. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and maybe a question from my end. Uh, another thing that is that, that I'm really reflecting on is capture. Not so much in terms of what medium or what what app do I use to capture, and not so much has changed there. But in regards to what do I capture and where do I capture and how many mind sweeps do I do? I still think I do not do enough mind sweeps. This is something that I really, really have to improve on. And it's very, it's a very difficult habit to establish, even though it seems very simple yeah, to just sit down and, and gather your thoughts. And um, another thing that I'm thinking about is... So we all established this capture habit for GTD, but I'm wondering, do we really capture everything or does the capture trigger only trigger when we think this may be a next action? Because I think what what GTD is, is about is um, being appropriately engaged with everything, not only your commitments, but also all other thoughts and everything else that pops into your mind and may distract you from from thinking freely and from being engaged and being focused. And I sometimes catch myself thinking, well, I have a thought now and if it would be actionable or would be a task or could become a task or if I think I could think about it in my during processing, then um, then I'll write it down. But since it's only a thought, I will not write it down. It will occur again. And this is something that I just realized in in the last two or three months that on the capture side, there still is gold to be mined and there there still is more coming out of capture and um, you can still improve capturing by looking exactly at, do I really capture everything like thoughts? And I'm really interested in what processing is going to be if there will be more general thoughts that maybe not lead to actionable stuff, but to, to uh, something that goes into a reference system and so on. Exactly. 
Or into a note-taking system. Yeah. Because I or really think that... System. Into a note-taking system. And someone is uh, experiencing new ways of capturing these days, I know. Yeah, that's that's correct. Uh, as uh, Especially Michael knows, I do a lot of capture. And uh, I really love to write things down. And now with the Apple Watch, I have really tried to talk to the watch. And this uh, speaking to text thing was for, for a week ago would be the worst thing in the world for me. <laughs> but uh, but actually, it, it works. I I like it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and gets really good Danish uh, from the watch in, into draft where I can put it either in in reminders or in Obsidian or in, in the reference system or it's just something I needed to get out of my head and then yeah. when I look at it later I can see oh, it was nice that uh, it got out of my head but um, it's not it's not needed anymore. Do you use Draft for that? Because uh, I, I think Draft is a fantastic application f- just for that purpose because it's so easy to capture things. And I uh, I love to capture... I don't talk to, to, to Draft, but I write. And sometimes when I'm uh, browsing around the web, I find quotes and I get ideas for, for content I want to, to write or use somewhere. I just capture it there and as... One part of my weekly review, I empty my drafts in inbox or drafts folder. It's always empty. Yeah. And I have built these actions. Yeah. And I have, for example, in my Obsidian, I have one page for quotes. And I can just, and it goes away from drafts. It's deleted and then it shows up in the right place in Obsidian. So I can do the processing of these thoughts. It's nothing that needs to, it's all reference. So I, I've set that up to, to help me doing that. Yeah. And it's first now, like a year after I start to use Draft, when I start to see how powerful it actually is to do these things. Yeah. So yeah. that that is how I look at it a little bit for for these capture things. But I, I can just agree with you, Sebastian, that uh, there is a lot of things that you actually could capture, and I I need to find a way when I'm out with the dog because I am always coming up with good ideas of things I should do while mm. walking with him, and when I come back yeah. home, it's gone. So um, I can only mirror this. Drafts is an amazing app. I, I learned uh, I learned about it years ago when it was in version one or two. Um, and even then it was just the concept to have this real quick open opening up interface. So like like a really like a digital scratch pad that really you click on it and it instantly is open and you can put uh, text into it. And then afterwards you decide what to do with it. That was a revolutionary approach uh, for an app and it's still one of its own, yeah, one of its own kind. Yeah? Uh, if, what, what I found for interesting for drafts is the extensions from thought asylum so that's an extension um uh, pack that w- with actions that you can install um and that have a lot of actions if you do some 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 writing for example he has just a, a group of actions that that can help you write a text uh, in in drafts or um you can um, you can do all kinds of other uh, really uh, you can use all kinds of other really nice pre-programmed uh, actions so that you uh, Jens you should look um, and and um, um and Martin you should look into that if you use drafts um, um whether you can use some of these these apps for me um 
I have one little inner fight going on all the time, and that's do I use drafts or shortcuts for something? Because I also love um, iOS shortcuts, and both drafts and shortcuts are now coming uh, coming to the Mac or are on the Mac, and um, mm. they have a, a certain overlap. Yeah. So, for, for example, now I'm experimenting at the moment with shortcuts, which put some entries into a reading list in, in, in Obsidian, and I decided to do this in shortcuts because... Um, Uh, well, it was just a Wednesday and not a Tuesday, <laughs> honestly. Um, so I could very well also do that in, in drafts. It's uh, both are just uh, amazing. Yeah, but I use drafts all the time. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's a wonderful app. It's a wonderful app. It's consistent. It's flexible, and it doesn't promise you more than it gives you. You get surprised how advanced it actually can be, but in its in its fundamental form. It's where tech starts, and he's really true mm. to that. Not trying to build a big word processor or something, mm. but still, you know, there's a lot of, of features on it. I think the exercise for you, Jens, was to you know start talking to the watch. That was yeah. kind of the the deal breaker, or or the the compelling event. Whether you would see find yourself talking, because one of the things that I think in in draft is at least in Danish, actually, this is not Siri. This is a built-in Apple um, dictation, which is completely different. And it does a very good job in our language, actually, to, mm. to detect it and to translate it. And it's just a push on your button. The microphone is on. You talk what you want. You cancel it. And it's in your inbox once you leave the car or whatever. Or come home from walking the dog. It's uh, pretty powerful. How many uh, voice captures have you done, Jens, for... Almost a week? I, six days. You have had it for I, six days or something, right? Yeah, I think it's around 10. I was picking up my son and got a text message from him. It had arrived and it was easier to reply on the watch. Just yeah. do a little uh, beat to text to him. So um, that was great. Now we have uh, Sebastian here and, and we were talking about uh, books last time. I was just wondering. Uh, Sebastian, had any book recommendation for us? Any new books that <laughs> we should read? And yes, for for our listeners that is uh, that, that is listening to this and can't see Sebastian in front of them, there is a big pile of books just behind him on the screen. Yes, looking at his book kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me check. Um, well, there, there, there's there's one thing I'm uh, one book. Uh, looking forward to experimenting with. It's called um, Automate the Boring Stuff with Python. And it is a book um, for non-programmers that's also widely, um, to the largest extent, available in the public domain, but you can also purchase it on, on, on Amazon or wherever you like. And it shows you little real-life projects, for example, how to manipulate Excel tables with um, with Python or how to search through text with Python. And once again, it is, I think, it's suitable for non-programmers like me. So I don't have a programming background. I don't have an IT background uh, and um, played around with it a little bit. And of course, I have a semi-work uh, in intention to look into it because uh, automation um, and automating processes is more and more important for law firms as well and everything that we can do with uh, little stuff like python snippets and so on um, in on our own server is is uh, 
kept private and secure. We don't want to use any kind of um, service hosted in the US for that. That would uh, pipe our clients' data through US um, uh, or, or uh, Chinese or whatsoever um, uh, other service. So um, this is, yeah. Um, so this is one thing. And something else, and I think I mentioned this, but I think not in the recording, to you guys is a book that will accompany me through the whole year. It is called Live Like a Stoic, 52 Exercises for Cultivating a Good Life. And it introduces you in 52 weekly exercises to the ideas and the approach of Stoicism, this um, ancient Greek philosophy and approach that's not religiously um, pre preconditioned, but it's just an approach to, yeah, how to approach life and um, how to live with uh, life's, uh, life's challenges and how to have a good life with the limited resources uh, of time you have. I bought the audiobook and that does not work. Right? It's way too much information. Yeah. <laughs> I need it on paper. <laughs> Yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, I, I also bought that book after our call a few months ago. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I have that problem when we, when I hear about books or we talk about books. I, I just I love books, so of course I went out and and bought that book and another book as well that you recommended at that point. So, mm -hmm. so how far are you? Yeah, what chapter are you? Uh, well, I'm in at the moment in the current chapter of this week. I uh, dropped, I think, one or two weeks in between, which um, I have just earmarked and I will do afterwards. So I try, even if I drop off, I try to just continue mm. with the week that we are currently in. And um, I'm, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, I was um, going through the exercises and in a lot of the exercises, uh, saw very interesting links to GTD because Stoicism deals with the notion of what's in my control, what's outside yeah. my control. And this is, I think, also very, very interesting um, to be very clear on when you do weekly reviews and when you enter stuff into your system. Where do I have control? Where don't I have control? Where do I have partial control? And how does this influence how I deal with something that I have captured? Yeah, just as an example. So this... This journey between the Stoicism exercise and being aware of GTD is an interesting one. And another book I, I can recommend because I also worked with it and it's finished now is uh, just the GTD workbook. Mm. Um, I just did this uh, once again. Um, it's um, You may know this. This is the um, Getting Things Done workbook, 10 Moves to Stress-Free Productivity. It is basically a condensed workbook version of the book it's been authored by brandon hall together with david allen it's interesting i do not agree fully with everything how it's set up here but it provides just another trigger to refresh your gtd system and i did this in a book group together with other people some of them not um, being aware of gtd and some of them being seasoned gtds and it's really interesting to do something like that and get into an exchange with other gtds can i ask a question here to to my podcast colleagues is that a project that we will uh, work on on the podcast that we will have this book and work with the exercises and report into the podcast what happened the 52 weeks of stoicism book yeah i i'm game for it because i think i need a little bit of, of pressure because I, I bought it i did the first week and then life happened so and i, I didn't as sebastian to continue so i'm just stuck i still need to do the second week so you need pressure <laughs> so a little bit of peer pressure yeah. yeah yeah how about you jens i'm in 
Yeah, okay. Yeah. Good. I'll get the books. I think it's quite interesting that you, you did that reflection with uh, the connection between GTD and Stoicism, yeah. uh, because I've done another connection, and, and that is that there's a lot of GTDers that is interested in Stoicism. Mm -hmm. So uh, it goes in parallel. Uh, a lot of, of GTDers yeah. I know have found it and thinks interested in yeah. and, and read up on it and try things out and do exercises because it's really helpful. Yeah. Nice book yeah. you have there. I recognize that one too. <laughs> I'm holding up another book and that's probably another recommendation and that's uh, that's nothing new to any of you or to anyone listening to the podcast. It's uh, 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. Mm -hmm. um, I'm holding this up because Oliver Berkman has also written at least two books on stoicism as well. And again, it, it resembles your, your, your theory, um, uh, Martin, because he too is interested in productivity and is interested in stoicism. And he now even has written a book where he, I think, is trying to apply uh, some of the stoicism uh, learnings to productivity. Yeah. Mm. And this is, um, is, is, was a very interesting read. I think I'm one of the persons who has a bit of a controversial view on it. My tagline would always be, I would never recommend this as the first book on productivity to anyone. But that's a highly con controversial um, attitude. So we, we discussed this in a, in a book club as well, and we had uh, really um, controversial discussions on it. And I love it. I, I, I love the book very much. It's... Yeah, it's so refreshing because he, um, yeah, he just makes you aware of the fact that you only have limited time and that you really should choose wisely. This is probably a common, uh, common sense thing to say, but he also makes you aware of other things. For example, don't wait too long to choose what to do or don't be too perfectionistic because, because you don't have enough time and you want to get to the, to the things that are, that are important for you. Yeah. And, uh, he just makes us aware that there is a limited, uh, limitation aspect to time management or productivity. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a very unique approach. Yeah. Um, I would take the final parts of the book with a little bit of caution. I think the recommendations at the end of the book are probably not suitable for, for GTDs because the way GTD approaches the productivity problem is, is a little bit more um, sophisticated, but the book in and of itself is, is a wonderful, mm -hmm. is, is a wonderful book. I, I enjoyed reading it very much. Yeah. You will actually have a window of a presentation during the GTD summer camp. Yeah. You and yours. Yeah. And you will have yeah. to decide whether, whether you will, you know, talk about stoicism or whatever GTD and stoicism. Isn't that correct, Jens? Yeah, we can do do that, or also talk about notes and settle casting during mm, yeah. uh, the GTD summer camp. Yeah, and I'm looking very much forward to that and to meeting uh, GTDs. So it's been it's been too long since. Uh, sorry, I have to drop it again. Since the wonderful GTD summit in Amsterdam, where <laughs> a lot of people have gone to, um, uh, it it is. I'm really looking forward to meeting GTDs in person again. It's it's always a wonderful experience. The real reason why I pushed to get you into the GTD summer camp is that you will experience something really unique, and you will start to talk about that instead of Amsterdam. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I will not get away that easily, Mike. No, I know. No. All right.
but a podcast discussion with Sebastian without revisiting your note system and note-taking Settlecasting system. It's not a real podcast with Sebastian. So, so uh, how is current status on, on your notes? Yeah, it's um, it's evolving. I'm more and more using it um, for work purposes and for personal purposes. I, I now have for for every main case that that I start, I have um, like a like a leading or informational page where I have links to the resources. Um, I have links to our file management system with the with the files stored. I have uh, maybe a basic timeline of events in in a table form. So this is something that I'm I've been heavily using. From from the professional side, I still have to develop the use of the linking mechanism, which is of course in in the Settlecasten methodology one of the uh, one of the main features. But I'm starting to do that as well. So the 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 thing behind Obsidian is that you, of course you can use it like a standard note taking system. You can use it like a draft that works on every platform yeah because it saves to text files um, but it gets ever so more powerful with the linking capabilities and that that's, that's what's uh, slowly growing now I see uh, I've seen in one or two instances that know-how from previous ca uh, cases was um, was linked to uh, new cases uh, it was just discoverable through the uh, tags and through the keywords so that was uh, that was really interesting. And I'm also playing around with the with the plugins all the time. Yeah, so, so what are, what is the top I've, plugins for you? One of those easy questions. Okay, let's <laughs> see. Um, I have resisted the temptation to use the tasks plugin and start to distribute tasks all over my notes and then display mm. them because that's a little bit too. Yeah, uh, I'm 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 really I'm really going for a simple system at the moment, and I'm a little bit afraid of what that's going to. So it's going to be org mode all over again, but not as good as org mode. That's a, that's a fear I have. So um, plugins I regularly use. I think the yeah uh, my favorite I think is Data View. Although I'm not using it to the extent I should use it, but the the ability to to uh, compile data, a live view of data from your other nodes is is it's really really helpful and this makes it really yeah a unique experience. Yeah. Another, um, I think my second and my third favorites, and that's all I'm, I'm going to mention, is the mind map uh, plugin which just displays the node that you are working in as a mind map structure in, in the second part of the screen. Mm. And the Kanban plugin. I sometimes switch to a Kanban view of a node to rearrange stuff and, and to have kind of a visual approach uh, or a different visual approach mm. to my notes. Yeah. We don't have that much in yeah. common, but uh, I also use the data view. I still find that after a year in Obsidian, Calendar Tag Wrangler is really my top yeah, uh, my yeah. top plugins. I use them a lot. Yeah, they are great. They are great. Yeah. They are great. Yeah. Also, Pandoc. Um, if you came, if you've been living on uh, Emacs or in 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 the old um, uh, Unix ecosystem, uh, yeah. then Pandoc, which is a command line tool from John McFarlane, a professor in Berkeley. Yeah. actually a social sciences professor, um, yeah. it can um, help you export any node into a Word file, for example. And that's yeah. something that I was missing in Obsidian, the export functionality. Yeah. And if a listener or someone of you has or knows more tools to draft a text in 
Obsidian and to assemble specific notes and uh, like on a on a corkboard, if you um, start preparing f uh, to write an article and to take out your notes from your note-taking system and assemble them on a corkboard and then you start mm. writing down the article. I'm looking for more of these tools that help me with content generation and content export. Yeah, I think that's where Obsidian really needs to step up. I learned about the Workbench plugin recently. I haven't used it yet, but I already installed it. This is apparently something where you can temporarily pin some notes to, and then you have uh, kind of an export sequence. And that's something that I'm really interested in. That's, I think, the next step for me. Um, mm -hmm. that I'm going to look into with, with Obsidian. But man, it's just, it, it's so amazing to see the, the ecosystem um, yeah. uh, develop. And um, I think it's also only two or three core development, uh, developers behind that. That's, uh, that's really fascinating. It's, it's only, only, two, only two. two core developers, yeah. But then you have the community around it with all the community yeah. plugins, right? But they are building. Yeah. Now, it's an app that is really... They do the stability and the core features, and then they manage yeah. to create this community around it where there are some skilled people writing plugins to Obsidian. They yeah. really know what they're doing. It's a, it's just yeah. such a joy. So get on the paid version. Yeah, yeah. I'm a supporter yeah. since yeah. since uh, more than a year. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. When I started the journey, I every day I had the feeling there's nothing in here which Emacs Org Mode cannot do. It's starting to go away, but still, when someone opens Emacs, I recently did a brainstorm with with a fellow who also used Emacs, and we and he opened, uh, he did a screen share, he opened Emacs org mode, and it was just like an old laugh in a wonderful red dress standing in front of you, and you just start to cry and. <laughs> because you know it's not real it's it's it that, that's the old world and you cannot use it and you cannot use it on mobile but yeah but obsidian i think is the new emacs org mode it is but would you use obsidian on the mobile i do i do you do oh i don't yeah, i do for testing purposes yeah yeah, yeah. i have but a testing mode with it and it works pretty well not for work no no i i use it on both my phone and my my ipad mainly for consumption mm. same here but I am not super happy with it. It's hard to navigate. I think it's a physical problem with a very small screen for a lot of content. Yeah, yeah, that too. Well, uh, wait, are you using it on your Nokia phones or on your iPhones? Because the, <laughs> I, the, you have to realize the screen is, is really big nowadays, right? I mean, come on. Well, I, I, I do use my, uh, my old Ericsson T20, so I have three lines of text. <laughs> the limiting factor. No. Yeah. No, I agree. It's not, it's not, I think they have reached feature parity now from, from the mobile version and the, and the desktop version, but it's probably, it's more like an iPad app uh, than it is an iPhone app. But I, I mean, if I would have the full vault in it, I'm sure I could edit my task list, uh, my next action list and, and do some quick capture and so on. I think it's uh, it would work. And what I already tested is if you um, link to an Obsidian node with a UUID, it works both on mobile and on the desktop. So it's yeah. really built sturdily and more to come. Yeah. All right. Is it time to say uh, see you on the GTD summer camp? Yeah, I, I, I guess so. With pen and paper for me? Yeah, I guess so. A lot so. of nice conversation and... Uh... Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm looking forward to it and I'm looking forward to meet you guys and uh, 
uh, in person and looking forward to traveling. I mean, I'm going to be in uh, arriving in Copenhagen, not been in Copenhagen for quite some time, looking forward to that and then looking forward to going to the, to the venue. And I really hope it's going to be uh, amazing. And I hope it's going to be nice weather too. I'm going to pick you up in Copenhagen and take you to, yeah, I am. That's my that job. Would be great. I will. I will pay with uh, with uh, writing tools. Oh no! I don't have a no. I want better writing tools than that, right? And I don't have a very fancy car. <laughs> <laughs> I will, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, it was so nice having you back on the show, Sebastian. So really, thank you for having yeah. me on. Yeah, always a pleasure. Is there anything you want to plug? Anything you want our listeners to to look into or? For you or have everyone buy the gtd book and think about stoicism but other than that uh, if you if you want to reach me you can um, uh, reach me on linkedin i think i can um, provide a link to to you guys so that um, we can link Put it in the show notes. i'm not as active on, on on twitter as i've been previously but i think linkedin is a is a good way to contact me and um, yeah everyone be be aligned and do a weekly review it really works yeah good stuff so let's uh, let's sum this one up then. So um, we are super happy that you have been listening so long with us today, all the way to the end. If you want to know more about me that now speaks English, uh, you can find my personal blog that is actually written in English uh, at martinhagen.se. Or you can reach out to me on Twitter where I am Martin Hagen. And Jens, you can also find on Twitter, J-E-H-P-E-T. And Michael is on Twitter too. My uh, only social media, which is D-R-E-V-E-S. You can find the whole podcast crew on Smarter Tech, also at Twitter. Thank you very much for this evening. Thank you, Sebastian, and peace. Ciao. Bye. Peace. Bye-bye. Tschüss.